the lordship of Jesus Christ encompasses the concept that he paid for us. He paid the price for our sin. He delivered us from bondage to sin. He redeemed us. And thus, we belong to him. He is our master. He is our Lord. He has authority over us. And in light of the authority of Jesus Christ, we are asking the question, what does his lordship, his being master, what does that mean to me? Last week we saw in Colossians chapter 1 that the lordship of Jesus Christ should cause us to desire to align ourselves with his will. And in aligning ourselves with his will, it causes us to ask the question in whatever we do or think or say, will this please Jesus? Well, this morning in Romans 12, as we continue to look at the Lordship of Christ, we're going to see one aspect of living out our lives that is pleasing to Him. We're going to be talking about genuine love. Remember with me in the book of Romans, there are four major sections to the book. The first three major sections span from chapter 1 through chapter 11, and all of those chapters talk about what Jesus has done for us. But when we get to the fourth major section of the book, starting in chapter 12, verse 1, through chapter 15, verse 13, the emphasis shifts. Instead of focusing on what Jesus has done for us, the Apostle Paul takes us to a response. He takes us to the question, now what am I to do in response to him? Chapters 1 through 11, what has Jesus done, shows what Jesus has done for us. Chapters 12 through 15 talk about what now I should be doing for him. And to Begin that section, kind of the key verses of that section are found in chapter 12, verses 1 and 2, when we read, Therefore I urge you, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice, acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, so that you may prove what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. So bottom line, the Apostle Paul says, this is what Jesus has done for us. What should we do for him? Give him our entire being. Everything that we are, everything that we do should belong to him in response for what he has done for us. And from chapter 12, verses 1 and 2, the Apostle Paul is going to give us specific examples of what it looks like to give ourselves to God. What should characterize the life of the Christian who in recognition for what Jesus has done for them is giving their entire being as a sacrifice back to the Lord. And we're going to see that one of the components of that 
giving ourselves back to him, is genuine love. I'm going to read chapter 12, verse 9, down through verse 13. You can follow along in your copy of the text. Let love be without hypocrisy. Abhor what is evil, cling to what is good. Be devoted to one another in brotherly love. Give preference to one another in honor, not lagging behind in diligence, fervent in spirit, serving the Lord, rejoicing in hope, persevering in tribulation, devoted to prayer, contributing to the needs of the saints, practicing hospitality. So here we find the Apostle Paul having laid the groundwork by showing us what Jesus has done for us and now showing what our response should be back to him. One of which, one of those responses should be genuine love. This past week, I declared to my wife that we have to go in a battle at home against clutter. Oh, my, we not only have our own clutter, we have my mother's clutter. When my mother moved into assisted living and now in nursing care, we had to empty out her entire condo. Most of it's been dealt with, but some of those things, like, well, we can't part with that, all ended up being put into totes, and we have an entire closet full of just my mother's stuff. And the problem is, as many of you have already experienced, While it may have some sentimental value to you, it has no value to anyone else. My siblings don't want it. My children definitely don't want it. What do I do with all of this stuff? So now we have our stuff, which is too much stuff, and my mother's stuff, which is more stuff than stuff that I wanted. What do we do? And I'm not going to get a storage garage. So... In a effort to try to survey the scope of this major mess, I started kind of with a little bit more of an investigative eye looking at my mother's stuff. I came upon a wooden box. I knew it was there, but I had never really spent time in the box. So Monday afternoon, I took the box, laid it on the table, and started to remove each item of the box by itself. My mother had never told me about the box. It contained items that had belonged to her father, who I never knew. Her father died when she was 12 years old. His name was William Anderson. And Bill Anderson had emigrated to the U.S. from from Denmark with his parents. So my mother was a Dane. And as I opened up the box, I immediately was struck with how valuable each of those items would have been to my mother. Not monetarily valuable. But each of those items said something about my maternal grandfather. And each of those items would have evoked a heart response on the part of my mom. I reached in and I took out some military insignias from his uniform. He was a soldier in World War I. was actually on the front lines in Germany when armistice was declared. I found his 
his razor that he would have used in the field, and some handwritten notes about his military service. I reached in the box and took out a little pocket map of the state of Montana. He had homesteaded in Montana with his brother prior to marrying my grandmother. And then I reached in and took out a small photograph that I had never seen. It was a picture of my grandfather and my grandmother with all three of their children, Beverly, my mother Burl, and Willard. I had never seen a portrait of the entire family together except that little tiny picture in that box. And as I continued to remove things, it became apparent to me that each of these items were glimpses of his life. Glimpses of the grocery store that that he owned in downtown Minneapolis. Just pictures of his life. And they would have, each glimpse of her dad would have evoked a heart response. What the Apostle Paul has done here in the book of Romans is he's started out by giving us glimpses of the person of Jesus Christ that should evoke a heart response. He gives us a glimpse of our desperate need. For example, in Romans chapter 3, it tells us that none of us seek after God. Each of us have hearts that are cold toward him, and, and none of us really care about God. And then it goes on to talk about just the penalty of our sin and the desperate strait we are in. And then we come to passages like Romans chapter 5, another glimpse where it tells us that, that God demonstrates his own love toward us in that while we were still sinners, he died for us. Think about that. People who don't care about him, who don't even think about him, and yet he died for us. And as the Apostle Paul gives us these glimpses of the person of Jesus Christ in chapters 1 through 11. He then comes to chapter 12 and asks for a heart response. Now what? As we've seen these glimpses of Jesus, these little pictures taken out of the box of his life and death and resurrection, what should our response be? That's the question that the Paul is, that Paul is asking. And in reality, what he's really showing is the fact that just as we looked at Romans chapter 10 verse 9, that Jesus is Lord, meaning that he is God, as we see the full picture that he is the God man who died for us and purchased us from our bondage to sin, we see that he is Lord. He is God and he, in his position of one who freed us from our bondage to sin, is our master. He has authority over us. What should our response be to his lordship? And so Paul comes to chapter 12 and says, well, I'll tell you what the response should be. It should be our entire being. When he says in Romans chapter 12, verse 1, that we are supposed to present our bodies as a living and holy sacrifice, giving up every part of our being to him. Now, that's hard for us to grasp because we look at that and say, wow, that's pretty big. 
how do I get my, how do I get my arms around that? So what Paul does is he breaks that down. He gives us glimpses of what it means to totally yield ourselves to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. As a Christian, how do I respond to the one who freed me from my bondage to sin? And one of the ways that we do that, one of the ways that we give ourselves totally to him in response for what he has totally given to us is through loving people. In fact, as we come to Romans chapter 12, verse 9, we're just going to begin by looking at the first half of the verse. And actually, in the Greek text, it's just two words. It's the word for love and the word for genuine. That's it. Paul simply says in chapter 12, verse 9, the first half of the verse, genuine love. Now, in our English translations, they've smoothed it out in the context, going clear back to chapter 12, verses 1 and 2, and translate it as an imperative. For example, in the NESB, you'll notice that words in italics there aren't really in the Greek text, but that's the, the gist of what Paul's saying, is saying, let Love be without hypocrisy. Let love be sincere. Let love be genuine. In my response to everything that Jesus has done for me, I'm supposed to be demonstrating genuine love. Now, the word for love here is one that we're very familiar with. It's the Greek word agape. It's that love that's not talking about a feeling. It's not talking about an 18-year-old boy gazing into the eyes of a 17-year-old girl feeling like he's got warm butterflies coming up through the top of his head. It's not that. It's rather a, a conscious, willing, yielding of oneself for the betterment of someone else. It is a selflessness. In fact... Paul thinks this is so important, he's going to show us what this is in the second half of verse 12 all the way down through verse 13 by giving us about a dozen pictures of what genuine love is. If you are in a community group tonight, one of the questions you will discuss is, what surprises you about the list in verses 9b through 13? What surprises you is a as a demonstration of genuine love. So Paul says, think about everything that Jesus has done for you, chapters 1 through 11. Now, how should I respond to that? In other words, how should I respond to the lordship of Jesus Christ? And Paul says, sincere love. Genuine love. We are in the midst of what I think is the most bizarre political year I can remember. I mean, I'm 55 years old and I don't remember one this bizarre. Now, if we go back further in history, we have had in U.S. history some very dirty, accusatory, uh, political campaigns where 
every stop's been pulled out. They haven't stopped at nothing. So it's it's really nothing new under the sun. But in my memory, this one is just quite unique. And one of the unique things is to find out that these candidates love us so much. Can you remember a time when we have had candidates tell us that they love us so much? I love you, Iowa. I love you, New York. And you kind of like to stop and say, wait a minute, can you define that? I'd really like to know what you mean when you say that you love me. I don't think it's what the way Paul's using the word here. What Paul is saying is that I'm calling you into response to the depths of the love of Jesus is demonstrated on the cross for you. I'm calling you to respond back with a selfless giving of yourself. And so we see now in the second half of verse 9 down through verse 13 some very concrete examples of selfless love. What should this look like in our lives? And that's what we want to begin to unfold here. Genuine love demonstrates itself in concrete ways. For example, the second half of verse 9, it says, abhor what is evil. The word abhor there carries the idea of exceeding hatred. We should have an exceeding hatred for what is evil. We should despise it to the very core of our being. And then the contrary to that is to cling to what is good. Hold on to what is good. With a passionate Grasp, hold on to what is good. It's actually an interesting word. It's used in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 16, to talk about the physical relationship between a man and a woman. It's, it's that level of clinging on to what is good. So Paul says, how do I respond to the love of Jesus as shown to me? Well, one of the ways is I should hate what is evil. And I should passionately cling on to what is good. Then he says, be devoted to one another in brotherly love. That's another Greek word for love. It's the word that we're familiar with, Philadelphia, just like Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. It means to love my brother. And what Paul's saying here is that we should view our church family as a family. Just as in our nuclear family with our physical siblings, our brothers and sisters, where if we're actually going to function as a family, it calls for us to forgive each other, right? You can't be in a family and not need to forgive each other. We're, we're human beings and we all fall short. And in our nuclear family, we have to forgive, otherwise it all just fragments. And here Paul says, how do I respond to the love of Jesus for me? I show brotherly love to my brothers and sisters in Christ within my church family. He goes on and says, give preference to one another in honor. I like what the English Standard Version, the ESV, how they translate this. It says, outdo one another in showing preference or honor to one another. Just 
go out of our way to show preference to my brother and sister in Christ over myself. Not lagging behind in diligence, verse 11. If we were going to translate that in a very just concrete, down-to-earth way, it would, we could simply translate it, don't be lazy. Don't be lazy in pursuing God. Don't be lazy in pursuing what's best for our brothers and sisters in Christ. But it sounds kind of in your face, so they probably, they don't, they didn't translate it, don't be lazy. But that's what it's saying. Don't be lazy in pursuing God in your spiritual life. Don't be lazy in meeting the needs of your brothers or sisters in Christ within your church family. And then he says, fervent in spirit. Now, remember, in the original language that the New Testament is written in Greek, it doesn't have a lowercase consonant for spirit to say that that's referring to our human spirit and an uppercase consonant to refer to the spirit if it's the holy spirit it's just one word you have like in our english bibles if the translators think it's a reference to the holy spirit they use a capital s our human spirit a lowercase s and they have to determine that from the context most english translations translate spirit here with a little s I think it's the other. I think it's a reference to the Spirit of God. The word fervent here carries the concept of boiling over or seething or setting ablaze. I think what it's saying, based on the phrase right after it, is that we need to allow the Spirit of God to set our hearts ablaze, to empower us so that we'll be serving the Lord. That the Spirit of God has to be unleashed within us if we are really going to be demonstrating genuine love and serving the Lord. Now, that little phrase is parallel with all the other 12 items listed in these verses. But it's right at the heart of what Paul's talking about here in showing genuine love. It is serving the Lord. Remember, we're talking about Jesus as Lord. The word serving here is the verbal form of the noun that talks about being a slave. And just as a slave totally belongs to their master, here Paul has that word picture in mind saying that we are to totally be yielding ourselves to Jesus our Lord. Serving him completely. As we go to verse 12, we find that a little triplet talking about our lives together right now, that we're going to be going through hard times, through troubling times, through times of tribulation. And as we go through those times together, there's things that we need to be doing together. For example, rejoicing in hope. Hanging on and encouraging each other with the promises of Scripture. He says, persevering in tribulation, devoted to prayer. What better way to respond to difficult times than to, with our brothers and sisters in Christ, demonstrate our dependence on the Lord by coming to Him together in prayer. Paul is asking the question, 
how should I respond to Jesus, to what Jesus has done for me? And then he says, well, here's an example. We need to be giving him genuine love from our heart. What's that look like? Well, very concrete things. Things like not seeking after what's evil, but hanging on to what's good. Things like showing love to my brothers and sisters in Christ, just like this church family is our family. Outdoing one another in in showing preference to my brother or sister in Christ over myself. Not being lazy in my pursuit of God or doing good. And walking with my brothers and sisters in Christ through difficult, tribulational times. And finally, he comes to verse 13. Talking about how we use our money. How we use our resources. Very physical, tangible things. He says, look around you. As your brothers and sisters in Christ. If we see a need, and we have the means to meet that need... Genuine love comes alongside and does it. He says, contributing to the needs of the saints. And the word needs there, when it's used in the plural, in the New Testament, refers to physical needs that people have. In the book of Galatians, the sixth chapter, the tenth verse, Paul talks about just how important it is to meet the needs of people, especially physical needs within the body of Christ. He says in Galatians 6.10, So then, while we have opportunity, let us do good to all people, and especially to those who are of the household of the faith. That's why here at Faith Bible Church, we have a benevolence fund. Now, a little bit of money will go to folks in the community who approach us, maybe come and say, hey, I, I don't have gas to get back home, or we have no food. We don't give people cash, but we will go over and, and give them some gasoline or maybe take them to the store and get some staples. But the vast majority of those funds, as our deacons help disperse those funds, go alongside of people within our church family. Because that's what our call is, to make sure that we are demonstrating genuine love to brothers and sisters in Christ when they have a difficult time, when they, when they have physical needs. And then Paul says, practice hospitality. You remember, in this time, hospitality was extremely needed. You couldn't go say, hey, I'm gonna go visit Rome or I'm going to go to Philippi, before I go, I can't go to Airbnb and set up a reservation, or Travago, or TripAdvisor, or Priceline. No, you were dependent on people to open up their home to you, to give you lodging. And here, Paul is saying, we need to be opening ourselves up, especially within the household of faith, with our brothers and sisters in Christ, demonstrating hospitality. In today's world, sometimes we, we feel like, oh, our lives are so frantic. I've finally gotten to a Friday night. I just need to decompress. Maybe we need to decompress by having a brother or sister in Christ join us in our home and share life together. And so Paul gives us these 
tangible, concrete ways of demonstrating genuine love. I'm going to show you a picture this morning as our screens come down. Uh, a picture of a concrete marker. You see, Paul doesn't want us to miss this. And sometimes things can be so big and so abstract that it's hard for us to really grasp what's being said. Even like the concept of, well, you, we have to give our all to the Lord. What's that mean? Well, he breaks that down says, well, one thing is genuine love. Well, what's that mean? Well, let me give you 12 concrete examples of what genuine love looks like. Now, if you've grown up in the Midwest and have ever spent any time outside of town, you will know what a corner post is. Here in Iowa, we still have fences, and most of the time our corner posts are a wooden post. But back in my grandpa's era, maybe the turn of the century, last century, uh, it would not be uncommon to find a concrete corner post. I grew up in, uh, I did not grow up, but I spent about three or four years of my early childhood in Indiana. And we lived really near like Napanee, Indiana, where all the Amish were. And we would go for drives and you would often see concrete corner posts like this at the corner of a field. Some would put up concrete corner posts that would be quite elaborate. You might even have like some kind of a symbol of your family, like this is my ground and I'm proud of it. Now, if you've ever lived in the country or driven in the country in the wintertime is this shot, you will also know that even though it's a gravel road, those gravel roads can become very slippery. And it's been more than once that I've slid off a gravel road. You don't want to slide off the gravel road and hit a post. It will damage your car. You definitely don't want to slide off a gravel road and hit a concrete corner post, right? Because it's there. It's solid. It's tangible. You're not going to miss it. And what Paul's doing in Romans chapter 12, verses 9 through 13, is giving us concrete corner posts. He says, I don't want you to miss this. Don't miss the fact that Jesus has given up everything for us. And now it's time for us to say, how should I respond? Well, one concrete way is genuine love. Not a syrupy love, not a, a feeling, not some kind of a warm gush that goes to the top of my head, a flutter of my heart. No, concrete love, selfless love. And then to make sure that we don't miss it, the apostle, in a sense, lays down 12 concrete corner posts for us to see in verses 9 through 13. This is what it looks like. Things like caring for my brother or sister in Christ who has a financial need. 
Things like treating my brother or sister in Christ as if he or she is my brother or sister in Christ. Forgiving them, just like I have to do within my nuclear family. Things like pursuing God fervently. Things like hating what's evil and loving what's good. You see, the Apostle Paul gives us concrete markers. In our question, how should I be responding to Jesus as Lord? Twelve concrete markers, specifics, that say, well, one way to respond is through genuine love. Genuine love demonstrates itself within a local church in response to the Lordship of Jesus. You may be here today and you've got burdens on your heart. I would encourage you, let's put to practice what these verses say. Let's be praying with each other. And if you would like to spend some time praying this morning, just in for a few minutes after the service, there's a prayer room right behind you. I encourage you, one of our leaders here at Faith Bible Church, one of our elders will be back there. And you can just go back there and spend some time in prayer this morning. Father, we thank you that Jesus loved us so much that he gave up his life for us. And now we have the opportunity to respond to him as Lord, as our master, the one who to whom we belong with genuine love. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.